0: Yeah, (laughs) Mike knows. I've had a week. I've had a week. Um, Leah and Carter are with our team down in Honduras. And so I've been enjoying all of the uh, blessings of kind of single dad life. I got to tell you, if you are a single parent, I don't know how you do it. And you are a hero. Um, That just needs to be said. Uh, there's a, a different level of kind of energy and attention and everything that goes into that. So I've been doing that. Um, been running a couple errands, kind of helping Leah with, with her work while, uh, while she's been away. I hurt my leg. I was doing this really um, extreme sport last Sunday uh, called kickball, mostly with children. And uh, hurt my leg a little bit. And so spent a couple days kind of hobbled trying to get that uh, get over that. Uh about midweek, had enough people that were around me that had COVID and my leg was still hurting. Do you ever kind of get to where you kind of go, you're on Google and you're like, is sore leg a symptom of COVID? <laughs> I don't think it is. Um, but the, the longer you're, it's sore, you're like, it feels like COVID leg, I better check it out. So tested negative, can, can confirm, sore legs, not a COVID symptom, so that's good news is a symptom of old age. Found that in lots of, yeah. lots of places. Um, got into kind of planning my sermon and lesson for the week, and, and really as I look at the series on the faithful presence of God and how we experience the presence of God and then become it in the world, one of the things that I really became uh, aware of, and I already knew this, but the, the week three in this series, which would have been today, is really kind of one of the pivotal weeks in understanding how we uh, live out the presence of God uh, at church, at home, and in the world. Uh, and so that, that sermon was designed to kind of be a framework that we would use for the next six or seven weeks at looking at spiritual disciplines and community and how we do them in those different places. Uh, and I thought, man, I bet there's gonna be a lot of empty seats on July 4th with a lot of COVID exposures and our team still in Honduras. Um, it turns out, was right about that. Uh, I'm thankful for those of you who are here and joining us online, but, uh, but I thought, I, I need to push that lesson off a week. And so I started really kind of looking into uh, other scriptures that really kind of reinforce this idea uh, that Christianity is less about, and I want to say less about, um, we focus so much today in Christianity and the church about having people's sins washed away so that they can, uh, can live forever with God. It's about getting saved so you can go to heaven. And yet when we look at Scripture, what we actually see more often is that Scripture is asking questions about whether or not God can dwell among His people and whether there will be a people who lives in God's presence. And that once the answer after the resurrection to that question becomes a resounding yes, God can dwell not only among His people but by the Spirit in His people— that we become a transformed people that begin living in the world as God's presence. And that starts to have really real implications about how we live in the world and how we understand what our role is as disciples of Jesus. Because if our role as disciples of Jesus is to just deal with our sins so that we can be saved and go to heaven, there's not that much work to do. You just make sure you don't mess up too much along the way. You keep as much sin off of you as possible. And yet if we understand the role of disciples as to come into God's presence and be transformed by his presence so that we then go into the world and and live as ambassadors and representatives in the embodiment of God's presence, then we've got a lot of work to do. And we see this coming through in lots of different places in scripture, so I want to kind of really get into a passage today that covers a lot of these ideas about the presence of God and the importance of it, and we're going to be uh, shortly, uh, starting in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Um, When it comes to the teachings that Jesus has in the last week of his life, it's interesting to see how the four gospel writers uh, deal with them differently. Uh, For Mark, uh, he doesn't have time for teaching. Mark is the action gospel, and he's just got all the action. So Jesus does the Last Supper, and then he gets arrested. There's no time for the conversations in the middle. Uh, Mark's getting down to business. Uh, There's not much there. So Mark and Luke, Matthew and Luke, both have that as source material, and they go, man, there's some really important teachings that Jesus had uh, that are there. Luke develops them out a little bit, but Matthew spends a lot of time looking at some of the parables and teachings uh, and prophecies of Jesus during this time where he's in Jerusalem, in the temple. And Matthew focuses very much on the public teaching of Jesus in his ministry during this, this time. And so you get a lot of teachings about being good stewards of the kingdom while the king is away. You get a lot of teachings about how we're supposed to treat uh, poor people and and use the resources God gives us in the world as His servants while our master is away. And, And there's teaching after teaching about be prepared for His return. Be prepared for His return. And so, so much of the focus in Matthew's teachings of the last week is, listen, the King Jesus has gone to be with the Father. The master is away, and he's left his servants in charge while he's gone. Be ready, he's coming back. Be ready, he's coming back. What are you going to do in the meantime? And so, so much of Matthew's focus in that that end section, the teachings between the Last Supper and, and his arrest and crucifixion, focuses on this idea of what it means to be the presence of God in the world. The master is away, but he has left his servants to do his will and live as he would have them live, because he's coming back, so you better be living as the presence of God in the world. That embodiment of Jesus while he's away. Now John does something entirely different, which is what John always does. John likes to read the other Gospels, he's the later, uh, the last one to write, uh, and he likes to look at the others and go, boy, they missed it, I'll fix it. That's John's mentality. And so he's got the other three and he gets to this last week and he's going to give extensive time to Jesus's teachings and conversations. But he's not focusing on what Jesus does in public. He's not focusing on what Jesus is teaching in the temple. His focus is on what feels like the evening conversations with the disciples and the apostles. It's these intimate moments where he's talking to the people that he has poured himself into the most and who have been around him the most and who are going to be uh, his plan to carry the church forward after he leaves. And he's giving them all of these these teachings. And so you get the personal moments and the little conversations in the quiet rooms, not the bombastic uh, woe to you Pharisees that you get in Matthew. Uh, where he's there telling those in the temple all the things they're doing wrong and need to get right. You get these gentle teachings uh, in John chapter 14 and following. Um, We're going to be, I'm going to read through a lot of this text. And it's a lot of Jesus's words. And and as I read through it, I'm going to kind of stop at different times and highlight some of the things that he's talking about uh, but I want you to realize, as Jesus is telling the apostles, I'm about to leave and go to be with the Father, and that's good news because the Spirit is coming. And, and then there's going to be a change in your life as a result of my leaving. Like all of that is baked into uh, what Jesus is talking about here. And as Jesus is teaching them and talking to them, uh, hear, listen for how much you hear Jesus talking about the presence of God. Listen to how much you hear Jesus talking about experiencing God's presence and what it means to live as God's people in the world. So starting in John chapter 14, I want to move through a lot of this text. We'll see how much we can can get through here this morning. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He's just predicted Peter's denial. He says, listen, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. "'Trust also in me. "'In my Father's house are many rooms. "'If it were not so, I would have told you. "'I'm going there to prepare a place for you. "'And if I go and prepare a place for you, "'I will come back and take you to be with me, "'that you you also may be where I am. "'You know the way to the place where I am going.'" Thomas said to him, "'Lord, we don't know where you're going, "'so how can we know the way?' Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to go build a dwelling place that's going to be my Father's house, and you're going to live there with him. The promise that Jesus gives at the beginning of this passage is that there will be a house where we can live in God's presence. And then they say, well, how do we know what God is like? How do we know where he is? And Jesus says, God has been present in me and through me. And so if you've been around me, you've been around God. You've seen him and you know him. Philip doesn't understand that. So he says, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. He makes the request that that Moses made in the Old Testament. God, let us see your glory. Let us see the Father. But Jesus answered him, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do, will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father." You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him. For He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Jesus is so clear. He repeats himself over and over and over again. I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. Our presence is one. We're together. We're united. And he says, and here's what's incredible. Here's what's so incredible, Jesus tells the apostles. It's good for me to leave you. You're sad right now because I tell you that I'm going to another place. and, And if you're sad, you don't understand. You don't understand. You want me to leave. And if I leave and I go away, God's going to send the counselor, the spirit of truth. And when he arrives, he's going to dwell in you. And here's what will happen when that happens. When God's spirit is in you, you're going to realize that just as I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, you will be in me and the Father will be in you and the spirit will be in you. And it's all going to be united because of where I'm headed and who I'm sending. And we we struggle to believe this, but Jesus says, listen, if you don't believe me, at least believe based on the miracles. Not only that, you're going to do incredible things in my name. You're going to pray great prayers and they're going to be answered because I've gone and sent the Spirit. You're going to do incredible things because I'm gone and the Spirit's going to empower you and embolden you and guide you to do even greater things than you've seen me do. The Spirit's going to show up, and it's going to be great. You should be so excited about this. You should be like, Jesus, get out of here. Good, better things are coming. Jesus says, that's what I'm promising you today. And all of this is reinforcing this teaching that Christianity is not just about getting your sins washed away so you can be with God some way. It's all about God's presence. It's all about us experiencing the presence of God so that we can become the presence of God in the world. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Because Jesus had said to them, The world won't see me, but you will see me. And Judas says, Why, why don't you just show yourself to the whole world? Why not let them know who you are and what you do? Jesus replied, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Jesus says, listen, here's what you need to know. I love God, but I've got to prove it by being obedient to God. Later in Philippians, Paul writes that Jesus was obedient even to death on the cross. And he says, listen, I've got to be obedient to my father. And the way that I demonstrate my, my obedience and my love for my father is by doing what he wants me to do. And this is what he's chosen for me. She says, so I've got to do this. And then at the beginning of this section, he says, listen, here's what you need to know. If you're going to be my follower, you've got to obey my teachings and you've got to love one another. He says, listen, the, the, the way that I'm going to leave you in the world is I'm going to leave you and I'm requesting that as you are in my presence and my presence is in you, that you be obedient people. And that's so important because we so often want, uh, we want grace or we want rules, one or the other. But Jesus in this, in this series of conversations with the apostles constantly holds these two together. I am love and I am in you but also be obedient and love each other and be this community of people that's striving to be good and striving to be uh, followers who are doing the things you ought to be doing, but at the same time, love each other. And love always includes compassion and and mercy and forgiveness and and forbearance and the working together of all things uh, so that we can be a community of people living as the body of Christ in the world. Obedience and love. And he switches now to to another teaching. He's going to talk about the vine and the branches. and, And it's another way of talking about presence and connectedness between God and ourselves today. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. If you've ever, it's incredible if you've ever worked with, with vines. Um, it's not a vine, but I was, I was moving a tomato plant yesterday and I just needed... You know, when you buy the tomato plant at the store, it comes with dirt in the roots and you put it in the ground and it immediately flourishes and grows. But I needed to move one of these plants. Uh, it was crowding with too many of the others, one of them had sprung up wild. Um, and I'm not a gardener, so I don't know what I'm doing. But I go to dig it up and put it in another hole. And I think this will go just fine. The roots will move, the dirt will move. I'll put water in and it'll immediately start to flourish. I moved this tomato plant. And almost as soon as I move it, of the plant just withers and dies. I mean, if you cut a branch off of a tomato plant, it turns into like a withered up nothing almost immediately. And Jesus says, listen, here's what you need to know about the vine. The vine, the branch has to be attached to the plant. And the plant is God. And God gives the branch all the ability to be productive and fruitful. And if you're not connected to the plant, you're going to wither and die. And so one of the teachings that Jesus has for us here that we need to always remember is that when we think about experiencing the presence of God and then becoming it, is we need to see those as two things that we need to constantly be doing both of. If you try and be fruitful for the kingdom of God, if you try and go out and love people and do service and do evangelism and do mission and you produce fruit and fruit and fruit, but you're not coming back to the the vine that is the Father and getting filled up with His love, and His glory, and His presence, and letting that be the source of your energy, you will die on the ground. You will not bear fruit. You'll wither. We need to be constantly going back to the Father and recharging. We need to be going back to the Father and recognizing it's His power, His force, His goodness, that even allows us to have the potential for fruit Fruit that will last for eternity. But it's rooted in our connection to the Father. If you lose that connection, your fruit will not be eternal and you will not endure. Jesus is now going to start talking about how as people that are doing this thing of experiencing God's presence and then becoming it and living it in the world, what do we expect from our neighbors if we start to do this thing? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will be yours also. They will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen these miracles, and yet they've hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law, they hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. When Jesus is talking about the world here, one of the things he says is to fulfill as it's written in their law. It's interesting here, we tend to think of this as the the broader world It seems that one of the areas that Jesus is focusing on the most here is the Jewish people who are rejecting God by rejecting Jesus. John is writing this in such a way so that if you are a Jew uh, that is continuing to reject Jesus as Messiah when he writes this, you're part of the world. And what Jesus says is, if you reject me, you continue to reject my Father, and you're rejecting my miracles, and because you saw me do those things, and you knew that they were true, and you continue to reject God, you're guilty of sin as a result of this. You cannot reject me and claim the Father. It doesn't work that way. Because as he's discussed extensively, the Father and the Son are one. The question he asked the apostles is significant, though. Do you remember that the servant is not greater than the master? We've talked about this several times in this series that there's so much frustration and anxiety in Christianity in the United States today because we have this tendency to, to look at the world and say, We don't think that you should be judging us, and we don't think you should be critical of us, and we're the good guys, and you act like we're the bad guys, and why are you being so mean to us and disrespectful to us, and where is our position of honor and influence that we as Christians deserve? And Jesus says, Listen, the world's gonna hate you. It just is. And if you're not sure why, remember that it hated me. And Jesus is a pretty good guy. And the world hated him. And the world persecuted him. And the world crucified him on a cross. They trumped up charges on him and arrested him. They beat him, they abused him. They did all these things. They divided up his clothing and and gambled to see who could win him. And Jesus said, why do you think that they're gonna love you when they treated me this way? do you think you're better than me? That's the question. Do you think you're better than me that while I got persecuted, you shouldn't be? Well, guess what? The servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. We have to stop being surprised that the world doesn't like us. In fact, we should rejoice, as Jesus tells us to in the Sermon on the Mount, because it means that we're worthy of the persecution of the prophets who called out the world for being sinful. It means that we're connected to Jesus and carrying out this tradition of being willing to suffer for the kingdom. It means that we're the people who are set apart. It would be easy for the church to stop being persecuted today. You know what we have to do? All we have to do is assimilate with the world and say, whatever you say is good, we agree. And the world would say, finally, you've arrived. But Jesus has called us to be set apart and he's chosen us to be set apart. And the world should not like that. And so if we are being persecuted, it means we're doing something right. It means that we're being the voice of the prophets in a world, calling it out and recognizing that Jesus calls us to something different. He continues, all this I've told you that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you at first because I was with you. Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I've much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why it said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying in a little while we will see him no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. And you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You'll leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. i told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm not going to continue through the prayer, although I'm tempted to, I won't for the sake of time, but I would encourage you this week to read through after Jesus has this lengthy conversation with the apostles and the disciples, it's all leading up to this time where he says, now let me pray for myself and pray for you, the disciples, and then pray for all of those who would come to believe as a result of their testimony. And I do want to finish with that prayer, this final part of Jesus' three-part prayer for himself, for the disciples, and for all believers, because this prayer is for you. And it's the prayer that leads immediately in John's gospel to his arrest. It's the prayer that echoes through the centuries to this moment that he prays it over us. And, And it says this, My prayer is not for them, the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, so the world, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus, in his final hours, getting to teach and preach and pray with the apostles and the disciples is so concerned that they understand the unbelievable eternal blessing of being in God's presence and having God's presence in us. And he says it in so many different ways and in so many words. And he says, listen, I wish I could give you all the words, but you can't bear it anymore. But the Spirit is coming. When the Spirit comes, the Spirit will give you all that you need to know so that you can believe all the things that I've taught you and so that you can be the people who embody the presence of God in a world that so badly needs to be in God's presence and have God's presence in this world. Immediately after that, he's arrested. And it's no wonder that when John went to write his gospel, that he gives like 15 to 20% of his book to these conversations with Jesus and the apostles in between the Last Supper and the washing of the feet and Jesus' arrest. When when you ask John, John, you were there in the most intense moments of Jesus' ministry. What do we need to hear? And he says, you've got to hear this. And he gives Jesus this huge block of Scripture that's all red letters. And it's all these words that we need to hear. And it's an invitation to us as disciples of Jesus today to live into the presence of God so that we can become the presence of God. If you're here today and you've never made a lifelong decision to become part of the people that dwell and live out the presence of God, please come forward this morning as we stand.